Are you ready to take your message, your business, and your life to the next level? Want to learn from someone with more than a decade of experience, training tens of thousands of people from all around the world? Hi, Cliff. This is Pauline from Auckland, New Zealand. John from Calgary, Alberta. Amy Porterfield. Michael Hyatt. Dan here from Dunedin, New Zealand. Ray Edwards. Mark Mason. Mike Stelzner. Pat from Smart Passive Income. It's Darren from Melbourne, Australia. Now is the time to live the life of your dreams and do the work you feel most called to do in the world. Welcome to the Cliff Ravenscraft Show. Here's your host, Cliff Ravenscraft. Welcome back, my friend. Today I'm going to try something that was just an idea, a concept in my mind as of yesterday afternoon. I am a huge fan of OpenAI's ChatGPT program. I signed up for the paid version of it as soon as it was available. If you haven't heard about this already, they have the ability now in the mobile app to do voice chat with ChatGPT. Not where it can just hear my voice and transcribe it and then respond with written text, but it can actually respond with a voice back to you. And inside the app, there are several different voices you can choose from. I've been waiting for this functionality to be added to my account ever since I first heard about it. And yesterday, I noticed that there was an update available for ChatGPT for my side of things. So I installed it, and sure enough, the voice chat is there. Yesterday, I had an incredible conversation with this voice to voice interaction around my wife Stephanie's branding. It was mind-blowing. And then afterwards, later in the day, when I had some time to myself, I sat down and started a voice-to-voice thread chat with ChatGPT. And I outlined an episode of this podcast that I wanted to share with you And what I'm going to do is I'm going to see, and this has not been prepared in advance, this has not been pre-recorded and edited, but I'm about ready to attempt to see if I can get ChatGPT to explain to you what we've been talking about, and I'm wondering if I can even get it to interview me. I've got the thread pulled up that I did the other day, and I'm just going to turn on the voice functionality, and what I will do for the purpose of your audio listening pleasure, there is a delay from when I stop speaking, it takes the audio that I just spoke and it's transcribed it to text, it's then processing and then speaks back to me. I'm going to take out the delay of all of that to make it sound more natural, but as far as everything else, I'm going to keep editing to an absolute minimum. So, I've got the app pulled up. I'm using my Rodecaster Pro with my smartphone plug-in adapter here that allows me to share with you what I'm hearing from my smartphone, and it allows me to send the audio that I'm speaking into this microphone into the app. So, here we go. Hey, I was wondering if you would be willing to tell me what the podcast episode topic is that I proposed for the next episode of the Cliff Ravenscraft Show. Can you summarize that for me so that I have a good feel of what I'm creating? Of course. You shared a rich narrative about your reading journey, and here's a summarized version for your proposed podcast episode for the Cliff Ravenscraft Show. Episode topic, the evolution of my reading habits from resistance to revelry. Summary. 
In this episode, Cliff delves deep into his personal reading journey, tracing back to a time when reading felt more like a burden than a pleasure. The pivotal year, 2009, saw a transformation with the discovery of the book 48 Days to the Work You Love by Dan Miller. This not only shifted his perspective on work and prosperity, but also reignited his love for reading. Cliff's entry into the world of ebooks, starting with the four hour work week on his iPhone, marked a new era of convenience. He explored diverse genres from personal and professional development to spiritual faith development and even some occasional science fiction. Despite the renewed enthusiasm, a unique challenge emerged the feeling of obligation to finish every book he started. This often led to periods of reading avoidance. However, a mindset shift liberated Cliff from this constraint. He adopted a flexible reading strategy, diving into multiple books concurrently and allowing himself to savor even the briefest reading sessions. The episode concludes with Cliff's current reading strategy, where he's juggling over 80 books organized neatly into Kindle collections. Through this personal narrative, Cliff emphasizes the essence of finding one's unique rhythm in reading and the transformative power of a flexible mindset. Listeners will walk away with insights into creating their own reading habits, understanding the importance of adaptability, and perhaps some new book recommendations. I hope this gives you a clear picture of the proposed episode for your show. Thank you for that. I have an idea that is unique, I think, for a podcast episode. And I'm wondering if I could use you to interview me for this podcast. You've already got an outline that you've prepared in advance, and you know all of the elements that I want to include, and I do want to include all of those elements. So I was wondering, could you, in your voice, Give me a list of questions that you would ask if you were interviewing me, and then I can record those questions in your voice, and then I will play your question and then answer it, and then I will play your next question and then answer it. So basically, when you go to the second and third question, I need you to pretend as though you just had me finish answering the prior question. Does all that make sense? And number two, can you give me a thorough list of all the questions you'd like me to answer? Absolutely. I understand your request. Here's a set of interview questions that cover the elements and insights you've shared, structured as if I was having a conversation with you. One, Cliff, let's start at the beginning. Can you tell us about your early experiences with reading, especially during your high school and college days? Two, it seems like 2009 was a transformative year for you in terms of reading. Can you share what happened that year and how the book 48 Days to the Work You Love played a role in that transformation? Three, after such a profound realization about work, you mentioned another book that further shaped your perspective, The 4-Hour Work Week. Can you tell us more about how that changed the way you saw work and life balance? Four, it's intriguing that the four hour work week was your first ebook. How did the shift to the Kindle platform, especially on your iPhone, change your reading habits? Five, I'm curious, Cliff, you mentioned another compelling book you read on your phone, The Shack. How did that experience differ from reading more informational or personal development books? Six, you've spoken about your love for personal and professional development spiritual faith, and occasionally science fiction? How do these genres play off each other and contribute to your overall growth and relaxation? 
Seven. Now, diving a bit deeper, you encountered a significant challenge, regardless of the format of the book. Can you share more about the sense of obligation you felt towards completing every book and how it impacted your reading routine? Eight. It's inspiring to hear how you overcame that challenge. Can you explain the mindset shift that allowed you to enjoy reading without the pressure of completion? Nine, with your current strategy of concurrently reading multiple books, how do you decide which book to pick up on a given day? And does this approach make your reading experience more enriching? 10, before we wrap up, Cliff, can you share any additional tips or insights that you feel would be valuable for our listeners, especially those looking to cultivate or reshape their reading habits? These questions should help guide your episode and touch on all the key points and insights you've mentioned. I hope this format works for you. That's amazing. I want you to pretend that I've just answered the final question, and then I would love for you to share in your voice a close that you would give as if you're closing out the rest of the episode. Number one, I would love for you to summarize the biggest takeaways that people should have from the interview. And then number two, I'd love for you to give some level of call to action for people to email me at cliff at cliffravenscraft.com and let me know what they thought about this episode. Here's a closing statement based on your requirements. Wow, Cliff. Your journey and insights into reading and personal growth have truly been enlightening. To quickly recap what we've delved into today. One, the transformative power of a single book and how it can change one's outlook on work and life. Two, the convenience and flexibility brought about by the evolution of reading platforms from physical books to eBooks and audiobooks. Three, the significance of reading across different genres ranging from personal development to science fiction and how they offer both growth and relaxation. Four, Cliff's personal struggle with feeling obligated to finish every book and how he overcame that by giving himself the freedom to read without pressure. And five, and lastly, some invaluable tips on how to make reading a more enriching experience, including sampling books and making thoughtful highlights. It's evident that reading can be both a source of profound insights and immense joy. If anyone listening has resonated with Cliff's story or has any further questions, I encourage you to reach out. You can email Cliff directly at cliff at cliffravenscraft.com. Cliff, thank you for sharing your journey and insights with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope this closing statement encapsulates the essence of your episode and encourages listeners to reach out to you. Okay, so I'm going to stop there. And that is the beginning prompts of everything that I've I've put together so far. And again, this was all in my head that I've never tested this before. I've never tried this before. But now what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you keep all of that stuff that I just did. But now what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the audio that I just recorded. I'm going to break it up into bits and I'm going to answer those questions as if I'm being interviewed and see how this works out. Now, you may be thinking, well, gosh, Cliff, I've already got the outline. I've got the summary. What more do I need to hear? And I would encourage you to stick around and listen to this because when I'm giving the answers, I already anticipate some of the level of detail that I'm going to give that I would have given if this was a solo episode on this topic. But I'm just having fun here. I hope you will join me in this. And so with that, I'm going to ask ChatGPT to begin the interview. Let's start at the beginning. 
Can you tell us about your early experiences with reading, especially during your high school and college days? Sure. Prior to doing this interview and putting everything together, my thoughts on this, I had this belief that I've always hated to read prior to 2009. And while for the most part I did hate reading before 2009, I dug deeper into my childhood. And so what I'd love to share is even before high school and college, I remember when I was a kid, probably starting around five or six years old, I had this little record player and Disney made these read-along books that came with little 45-sized RPM records, but they were actually 33 and a half or 33 and a third RPM. And you would put it on the record player. It would read to you this story, but and, and it would make a sound when you need to flip the page. And I would read stories like Peter Pan. John could hardly wait to cross swords with real pirates. What an exciting place. Neverland promised to be lots of fun for them all. Peter Pan took everyone to his secret hideout underneath a big hollow tree. Stories that really sparked my imagination. There were images on the page, and I was able to kind of follow along what were the words that were on this page. And it's one of the ways that I actually learned how to read. And also when I was a kid, I remember having a giant collection of those little Golden Book series books. Anyway, they were books with this golden spine and they often had popular characters and classic stories and fairy tales and I remember having Winnie the Pooh and just all of this stuff Sleeping Beauty Little Red Riding Hood and I enjoyed all of those books however things began to shift for me and this is all as I've been evaluating and and putting things together, how this all came about, at least the story that I'm putting together, I should say, in my mind today, about how this all came about. It was second grade, and they had this box of little books. You would actually go and pull out one of the books in this series, and you're supposed to read it within a certain period of time, and then you go and get the associated quiz for that book, And you have to fill out all of these answers about what you just read. I just was not doing too well on those quizzes. My reading comprehension maybe needed some improvement or whatever, and that's what they were diagnosing. But certainly I struggled with my grades on them. And quite frankly, I recall maybe not putting all of my attention into reading those books. Elementary school was not a good time for me. The school that I was in was not a safe space, and I was bullied a lot in that school. And so I had my mind outside of the school scenario. And as early as second grade, I was taught that I'm not a good reader, that my reading comprehension is low. And all throughout my elementary school years, from first grade all the way through eighth grade, I was a straight C, D, and F student, barely passing most years, it seemed like. So Elementary school kind of changed the way that I thought about my identity as a reader. Now, fast forward into my high school years, I remember everything shifted when I got into high school. I bought into 
this whole idea, this conditioned way of seeing the world that the grades that you get in high school will live with you throughout your lifetime. That was a hardcore, hardwired belief in me. That I mean, that had been beaten into me. It's like, listen, you can't mess around. Once you get into ninth grade, from that point forward, it's like the scarlet letter A. How do you know that, Cliff, if you don't read books? I watched the movie. <laughs> so anyway, we'll get there. But anyway, it, it's, it's like you're branded with these grades. And so I made a commitment. I am going to be a straight A student in high school. And I did, all the way from ninth through graduation, I was a straight-A student. I had an occasional B-plus. And if you're wondering, where did that B-plus come from? If you guessed it was my literature classes, you might be right. One thing I can tell you is that the idea of having books assigned to me where the language is Old English... And if you put together the idea that I have a difficult time comprehending books when I'm reading them, then, yeah, I, no, I, I, I'm i probably not going to do too well with these old English books that have this King James-style language. So I never finished any of those books. I never read any of those books that were assigned to me in high school. In fact, I'm absolutely convinced There's not a single book from ninth grade through 12th grade I ever read from beginning to end. But I did get straight A's with an occasional B plus. And you might be asking, how did you do that? Well, there were these things called Cliff's Notes. And for every book that I was assigned, I was either able to go and find a Cliff's Notes or a Sparks Notes or whatever. And I was smart enough to know that there are some drawbacks to that. These book summaries don't contain all of the details, and the teachers are smart enough to know when a student is only getting their insight and information from these book summaries. So knowing that they're testing for that and they're also looking for details that wouldn't be in these summaries, one of the things that I did was I would research any and every book, I'm sorry, not book, but any and every movie and play adaptation. And if I could get my hands on a copy of a movie or a video of a play that was done around these books, I would watch those. And then what I would do is I would go through again through the book summaries. And with each chapter, what I would do is I would go into the actual book And I would just peruse different sections of the chapter and look for anything that's in that chapter that's not in these book summaries. And I would go in and I would write down in a journal-like notebook all of the bullet point details of things that were not in the summary but are in the actual chapter, things that seemed relevant to the story but not so relevant that you couldn't read a book summary and and not really get a feel for the, the overall story. But those things that were still relevant, I made a bullet point list of things in each book. And then I had an entire notebook. I had my summary. I had what I had seen in the movies. I recognized where the movies changed things. And so with that, I was able to compile a compelling paper or research, or summary, or I was able to successfully take tests and get A's or B pluses on all of those books. But by the time I left high school, from elementary school through high school, I am now convinced that 
I am a poor reader, that I lack reading comprehension. And this was all even greater emphasized when I went and took the ACT. I was doing incredibly well on the ACT. But when we got into this section where you read a couple of pages of content and then immediately I'm quizzed on comprehension, I tanked on all of that. And here's a couple of things that I learned, you know, just looking back, is that this whole idea of comprehension, the way that my brain works is that I want to read a couple of sentences and I want to imagine in my mind what that looks like, what it feels like, what it's like to be there. But here I am going all the way back to second grade. It's like, okay, Cliff, you've got 30 minutes to read this this little booklet that's in this box and it should only take you about 10, 15 minutes to read the book, but you've got 30 minutes to read the book and take the quiz. And that's just not how I wanted to do things. I, 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 for me, I want to read the book. And I remember the first couple of times trying to read the book. And I'm sitting there reading the book, and my 30 minutes is up, and I'm maybe one third of the way through the book. And it's not because I'm not reading it, and it's not because I'm not comprehending it. It's just that I'm off in my imagination. I'm starting to create pictures and visualize in my mind this world that's being created. And I'm also starting to see myself in the picture and how does this do this? And my mind is exploring an expanding universe or multiple universes in my mind. And yet I'm like, I'm not reading up to their speed requirements. And so as such, I would get to the end of my thing. And they said, okay, take your quiz now. And of course, I, I, I didn't get through the whole thing. So... I, I got failing grades. In the ACTs, if I go all the way up to after you know that period of time, after high school or right around the end of high school, same thing. It, Cliff, you've got X amount of time to read this thing. And so I'm forcing myself to read it and I'm actually having no attachment, no real felt connection to what I'm reading. I'm just reading a bunch of words on a screen. If you remember the old Charlie Brown cartoon when Charlie Brown's in school, I'm literally reading the words on the page and it might as well in my mind be mwah, 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 mwah. In some ways, I'm just looking for keywords. Is there any keywords here that can stand out? The keywords just were not enough. And so again, I come out of high school with this idea that I'm a poor reader and I don't like reading. In fact, I just began to associate, have neuroassociations with reading equals pain, reading equals the disdain of others. I, I, I don't know, I, when I was in elementary school, I was punished for bad grades. And so it, this, this actually had a pretty traumatic physical impact on me. I, my, my parents weren't abusive or anything, but you know, the, I, I grew up in an age where spanking was the norm, and, you know, every time I brought home a report card, which was, you know, they had these quarterly report cards, and then there was the end of the year report cards, and I didn't have great grades, and a lot of it had to do with my disdain for reading and studying, and so anyway, I, I came out of all of that experience, and then in college, 
I did read books in college. I took college very seriously. I did two and a half years at Northern Kentucky University. I did, I think, two years at Nazarene Bible College. I don't have any degrees from any university, but what I do have is all of my transcripts from all of those years, and I am a 4.0 perfect straight A student. I went in with, you know, this stuff is expensive. It's an incredible investment, and I am going to go all in. And I did read books throughout college, lots of books in college. However, every single book that I read came with a deadline. And quite frankly, in my mind, an unrealistic deadline. I'll never forget, when I did this Nazarene Bible College course, it's like, okay, here are the five books that you need to read this semester. And I'll I'll never forget. It's like, okay, I want you to read chapters one through five of this book by the end of the day Tuesday. And it's Monday morning. And I'm like, okay. And then in this book, I want you to read chapters one through three. And in this chapter, I want you, I want you to read the first the introduction in the first chapter. And I need you to write a summary of everything you've read in from each of those three books. And by the way, Somebody else in your class is going to read your thing and they're going to give you a grade on whether or not they think you actually read the material. This was ridiculous because at that time, especially in Nazarene Bible College, this was a something I was doing on the side while working in insurance. Oh my gosh. I was up until three, four o'clock in the morning. It, and, and, it, and again, it just... While I was reading, I put everything into it. I was transcribing my notes. I did everything I could to fully get what those books were. Because for me, this was something, especially when I went to Nazarene Bible College, this wasn't just something that I wanted to get good grades. This is something that I wanted to have this education because I felt that this is what they're teaching that I should know for this profession and and for this work that I'm doing. So I really did do everything that was possible to internalize those things. And I did it. I did it successfully. I proved to myself that reading comprehension is not a problem for me. It's just, is there a strong enough reason why this is important to me? And once it was important to me, and especially in college, I was at least able to choose my classes, the subjects that I took, and those classes and subjects tended to recommend or require reading of books that were aligned with my passions and my interests, and that certainly helped. But what did not help and what further gave me neuroassociations of pain was the incredibly harsh deadlines the requirements to read so much in so little time. And while I did it, and I did it successfully, I hated every single minute of it. Now, after college, and and while I was doing ministry, I did read several books on leadership and small groups and coaching and, and things of that nature. Those books I got to read at my own pace, And while many people would be able to read a book, let's just say that's 250 pages and they might be able to read that in a week, I would take somewhere along the lines of a month and a half to read it. And a lot of that had to do with just the fact that I'm convinced 
of my own accord that I'm slow. I'm a slow reader. I don't comprehend very well and all this stuff and, and just give me time to read it. And I'm going to assimilate all of this information because I might one day be tested. And that for me was this. And to this day, I can see prior to 2009, I can tell that a lot of my hatred of reading prior to 2009 was due to the fact that I felt like I needed to read and remember and have the ability to recite every piece of insight and information that was presented to me in that book on demand. Otherwise, I'm get a failing grade. And that is why... Uh, yeah, I, that that's that's my early stages of reading and my experiences during high school and college and, and all of that stuff. It seems like 2009 was a transformative year for you in terms of reading. Can you share what happened that year and how the book 48 Days to the Work You Love played a role in that transformation? Well, it started really in 2008, and this is when I became full-time self-employed after living a lifetime as an employee. Now, up to that point, I had all sorts of limiting beliefs about money and about work and about what is responsible when it comes to being a husband and a father. Some of the beliefs that I had about money and work is that if you don't work hard, you don't earn money. The harder something is for you to do, the more you get paid to do it. And the easier and the more simple something is to do, anybody can do it. There's not a lot of value in that. And so therefore you get paid less. I also had beliefs about money that said something to the nature of the more hours that you put in, the more you should get paid. And the less time something takes to do, the less valuable that is, and therefore the less you'll get paid to do it. And this comes from a lifetime of mostly getting paid hourly wages wages rather than salary and things of that nature, although salary comes with its own limitations, but that's not the topic of our thing here. So I had these limiting beliefs about work, and quite frankly, I left a lifetime of an employee doing things that weren't along my passion, and here I am finally making this big leap into full-time self-employment, doing the work I feel most called to do in the world, work that's fulfilling, that gives me a great sense of purpose and satisfaction when it comes to the results that I see my clients getting. It's just in perfect alignment with what I feel most called to do. And so much of what I'm doing is easy to me. It just comes seemingly naturally to me, but it comes naturally after many thousands and thousands and thousands of hours devoted into these areas of my life that have been such a passion since young adulthood, and sometimes going all the way back to childhood. So uh, I, I struggled in the first year of my business. I've told my story many times about how for the entire first year in 2008, I worked around the clock, 12 to 14 hours a day, seven days a week without a single day off. 
until September of that year when I finally decided to take Sundays off, but I increased the number of hours that I worked the other days of the week. And all of this was because I was feeling that my my work isn't hard enough. My work is too easy. Uh, I'm get, here. I am expecting people to pay me money for my hobby and these things that I love to do. And there's these voices in my head saying, "You're not earning this stuff. That why, how is it that you think that this is a responsible way to live as a husband and a father when other people are out there working two or three jobs that they hate and they're barely able to put food on the table? And here you expect to make a living doing what you love and what's easy for you." This is ridiculous. Why don't you go and get a real job? These are the kind of thoughts that were in my head. And as a result of all of that and the actions that I were taking that seemed to keep me in alignment with what my beliefs were, I ended up only making $11,000 net income that first year. And one of the people that really was a source of inspiration for me was this guy named Dan Miller. I found about him, found out about him through Dave Ramsey, and I started listening to Dan Miller's podcast, and then I heard about his book, actually I heard about his book, 48 Days to the Work You Love, many times. So I ended up getting a physical copy of the book, 48 Days to the Work You Love, and that book profoundly changed the way that I think about work and earning income. It was the first time that anybody had ever made a case for the fact that not only is it okay to get paid to do work that you love, but in fact, those who do work they love end up making more and finding greater success because they love what they do so much that they don't put in just the bare minimum requirement to get the work done, but they're heavily invested in all of the aspects related to that work such that pretty much every aspect becomes naturally a a process of what they know and they've experienced so much. And so that's what I was experiencing. The reality is, is that the work that I was doing, it's not that it's easy. It's not that it doesn't take any time at all. It's just that if you've been doing it as much as I am, it's easy to me. And it doesn't take me very much time. And I'm like, wait a second. This this completely rewires exactly how I feel about all of this stuff. And within weeks of reading that book, I started to see myself as more confident in charging more money. In fact, as a result of that book, I eventually came to more than double and ultimately triple my rates within a very short period of time. As a result of the confidence that I had, and that confidence was communicated and it was transferred to those that I was making proposals to, that led to more and more sales. And I I just started to see a radical shift in the amount of income I was finally generating in my business. And not to mention the fact that I started to see a reduction in the number of hours that I was working. And then later, I was a couple, and by the way, all of that because of one book, 48 Days to the Work You Love book. So one of the other things that happened was I found this book, The 4-Hour Workweek by Timothy Ferris. And this was the very first ever ebook that I purchased. And I'll never forget reading that ebook 
on the Kindle app on one of the very first few generations of the iPhone. Can't remember which one it was. But oh my gosh, not only did I have this book at my fingertips, I could read it anywhere and everywhere I went. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. But also, it was just this insight related to the four-hour work week, this idea that you don't have to work 50, 60 hours a week to earn a great living. And while I don't think even the book, The Four-Hour Work Week, is actually promoting that you only work four hours a week, it's just to give you a stretched idea in the opposite direction of what it means to earn an income and how you can generate serious value for others and get paid incredibly well in much shorter periods of time than what we've been conditioned to believe. And so these books in 2009 began to shift my understanding of the value of a book. These books specifically spoke to serious pain that I was experiencing in my life The other thing that is unique about this is these are the first two books that I read where I did not have any deadline from external forces of how long I should read them. I took my own time with them. It it probably took me maybe two or three weeks to get through 48 Days to the Work You Love. It probably took me about a a similar period of time to get through the four-hour work week. But it's because I allowed myself that ability to sit down and read a couple of chapters and and just pause and put a bookmark in it and go away and think about and journal about and pray about and have conversations with other people about the things that I just read out of a couple of paragraphs in a single chapter, even though I didn't finish the chapter. And so all of a sudden, 2009 was this transformative year for me because these books, like 48 Days to the Work You Love and The 4-Hour Workweek, these books radically changed how I believed I was able to add value to other people's lives. After such a profound realization about work, you mentioned another book that further shaped your perspective, The 4-Hour Workweek. Can you tell us more about how that changed the way you saw work and life balance? Well, for me, work and life balance, uh, there was none. It was all work and life was work (laughs) prior to reading these two books, both 48 Days to the Work You Love and The 4-Hour Work Week. But given the insights that I have and how my beliefs were radically transformed or transmuted into something else... It allowed me to have confidence that I wasn't doing anything wrong when I was charging $300 an hour, for example, where somebody says, hey, Cliff, I'd like to hire you to help me solve an issue. And we schedule out an hour and I say, listen, it's $300 an hour with a minimum of one hour. And we'd get on the call and within five to 10 minutes, that problem is solved. I would often say, hey, is there anything else you'd like to cover and talk about? And sometimes they would take up the rest of the hour and everything was hunky-dory. But what really changed was that sometimes I would solve the issue and they're like, Cliff, that's great. Send me the invoice. And I used to refuse to send the invoice because you haven't paid, you haven't got the benefit of a whole hour. And because I no longer believed that I was getting paid for an hour of my time. But what they were saying is, hey, Cliff, I've got this problem that I need to have solved 
And I propose that it's a $300 minimum to work with me to find the solution. And they agreed that, wow, uh, yes, this is definitely worth $300 for me to find the solution. I've been hitting my head against the wall for the last several weeks trying to figure this out. And then I come along and fix it within five minutes because I've been there, done that several times in the past. I've seen this countless times before. And sure, it took me a couple of weeks to figure it out the first time, but this is super simple for me now. And to recognize there's value in that and that alone, and the fact that it may even be worth more than $300 given the fact that it only took five minutes and they got almost an entire extra hour of their life to go do something else. So it had an incredibly huge impact on my work-life balance because I was able to work less and earn more, and I was able to feel good about it, and as a result of feeling good and feeling like this is this is a responsible way to do business, doing what I love, doing what I'm great at, focusing on my excellence, focusing on what today I know is my genius, and all of these things, and getting paid incredibly well in exponentially less hours, this freed up a lot of time and gave me margin, not only in the number of hours that I could spend with my family or in self-care or other areas of my life, but it also gave me margin financially. And so that allowed us to not only have time together as a family, but it also gave us uh, extra margin in our income to go and do things as a family, such as vacations and a cruise and a trip around Europe for two weeks with our family and things like this. So it radically impacted my work-life balance. It's intriguing that the four-hour work week was your first ebook. How did the shift to the Kindle platform, especially on your iPhone, change your reading habits? I would say between the Kindle platform and somewhat to the Audible audiobook platform, these two technologies have radically impacted my reading habits. So I've already talked about the fact that because of my experiences with 48 Days to the Work You Love and the 4-Hour Work Week, I already began to see the shift in the value of reading. And reading without a deadline, reading for my own development I, I began to see the value in it, and I had already said, okay, I am definitely going to read more books. If the first two books that I've read since college and all this other stuff, if these two books can have this amount of impact in my life, I'm absolutely committed to reading more books. So the only issue with reading more books, especially in the physical form, is where do I... How do I take them with me? So I was working from home at this point, and if I'm working from home and I'm at home, I'm typically sitting down in my office doing things related to my work. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm still working out the work-life balance at this point, but still... If I'm not doing something with the family, I'm doing something probably related to work. And there are many times when I'm away from the house where I'm sitting in line, let's just say, at the doctor's office or I'm in the car waiting in line to pick up kids from school. There's a lot of times when I'm out and about away from the house, but I didn't always remember to bring that book with me. 
And not to mention the fact that sometimes one of the best times to read for me might be during the evening and having a book light. Back then, they didn't have the Kindles with the backlit display. So having, you know, this book light and all this other stuff, it it just was inconvenient to have these physical books and have a lamp on and all these other things. So when I started reading on an e-device, a Kindle device, again, I very much first started out using the Kindle app. All of a sudden, I had the books that I owned and I'm currently reading in my pocket with me every single place I went. And I'll never forget reading the book, The Shack, and I will tell you that that book was a page turner for me. And and, and this was a non-personal professional development book, but it was something that on the spiritual level, and even though it was kind of on the fiction side of things, it was still telling a story kind of with elements of of true life experiences of, of people. And it was such a page turner, and it was something that was radically different as far as an explanation of somebody's relationship with God. And I'm like, this is a compelling story. Wow. And so here I am reading something that's not business related, and I'm really captivated. And so I'll never forget when I was reading The Shack by William Paul Young. It was one of those books where, I'm not embarrassed to say this, every time I went to the bathroom, I'm sitting there pulling out my phone and I'm reading a couple of pages and I would bookmark it. Next thing you know, I'm at lunch and while I'm eating lunch, I'm reading a couple of pages. Then I'm off to school to pick up the kids and while I'm in line, parked there in line, reading a couple of pages. Every sometimes even while I'm standing in line at the grocery store, I might read a couple of paragraphs, and I made it through the shack, the the shack, in unprecedented time. I probably read that book in about three to four days. That was mind blowing. How did that just happen? It was at this time that I'm like, okay, I'm a reader, and I love reading. I'm going to buy a bunch of books. And the fact that every single book that I purchased, whether it was on Kindle platform or whether it was in Audible, these audiobooks, those books are with me everywhere I went. I'm curious, Cliff. You mentioned another compelling book you read on your phone, The Shack. How did that experience differ from reading more informational or personal development books? Well, The first thing that it did for me is to understand that I could read for enjoyment, and it also helped me understand that there are books out there that could challenge not only the way that I think about and experience things like work and money, but also that could challenge the way that I think about and experience my relationship with God. And given the fact that it was told from somewhat of a fiction story part of it, I also saw the value of just being drawn into a different world and being, in in my mind, in a, in a world that's different and unrelated to the world that I'm in every single day. So it almost felt like I was living a completely different life, fully involved in another story. And I kind of enjoyed the the compelling experience of life outside of just my own life and and 
that really had an impact. You've spoken about your love for personal and professional development, spiritual faith, and occasionally science fiction. How do these genres play off each other and contribute to your overall growth and relaxation? Well, I hadn't brought up science fiction, but I did bring it up in our pre-interview dialogue. So I'm glad that you brought science fiction. And eventually I got around to reading a lot of science fiction. In fact, very heavily into science fiction. But anyway, yes, I, I found that there are three main categories that I love reading. I love to grow personally and professionally, challenging the way that I think and experience life and work. I love to be... Uh, challenged by other people's thoughts and experiences of spiritual life, faith life, relationship with God. And then I love fantasy worlds, whether it be something like Lord of the Rings or if it's, uh, you know, space novels or whatever, the futuristic novels, science fiction. Uh, The one thing that I love is that no matter what I'm reading, it seems like everything is connected. So I might be reading a spiritual and faith-related work, and it's speaking to a significant situation that I'm experiencing either in my personal relationship with my wife or my kids or in my work with my customers or my business processes in general. And something on the faith side seems to be speaking to me as it relates to that experience of life. And then, of course, when I'm getting into the personal and professional development side of things, I'm like, wow, this is incredibly powerful. And as I'm seeing that I'm breaking up with some old beliefs about who I am and what it means to be a business owner and what it means to operate around money, I see that that's oftentimes challenging what I had concluded on a spiritual side, what God thinks about those things. And, and I love how those play off of each other. And then when it comes to the world of science fiction and fantasy and just fiction in general, oftentimes these stories are told that as in this didn't really happen, but here's something to imagine. The people writing those stories are writing from their own filters and beliefs and experiences, and they're writing stories that are meant to kind of delve deeper into what is it that we believe and what is it to be, you know, what would life be like if you lived with this kind of experience in your past? So the hero's journey over and over again allows you to put yourself in a different world. Not to mention the fact that, quite frankly, there's sometimes where I just love to unplug and have relaxation and and completely escape into a different world Free from maybe some of the obstacles and the the circumstances and circumstances and situations that need solutions and all of that other stuff, I I've come to this place where I've grown so much personally and professionally and even spiritually to know that everything's going to work out. However, even though everything's going to work out, I recognize that everything is changing. Life is always complex, and there's always new things that come along, things to stretch us and things to grow us. And I just found that the playing in of of a good fiction novel or a story and escaping into another world allows me to just drop all of my own stuff that's going on in my world and just to relax into another story. 
and and just be involved in that world for a while. And there, for me, there's just so much of letting go and relaxing and surrendering all the things that are in my mind and just allowing myself to go into another world. And when I come back to my world, I find that I've picked up insights in that other lifetime that I was living in that fictional world. So they very much all weave together in a pretty profound way. And it's, again, one of the reasons why since 2009, as a result of having access to these digital platforms, whether it be audio or Kindle, for me, those are the two, Audible and and Kindle are the platforms I I lean into the most heavily, although I still have stacks and stacks and purchase a lot of physical books, especially digital books that have had a profound impact on me that I may have highlighted and read several times. I usually go and buy a physical version of that just to have a trophy up on my bookcase. Sometimes the book's only available on physical platform, and I really don't like when that happens. But there are books from the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and 70s that have never been digitized, and so I I sometimes buy those as well. But yeah, it's just... I love all of the all of these three main genres and and that's that's how they all fit together. Now, diving a bit deeper, you encountered a significant challenge regardless of the format of the book. Can you share more about the sense of obligation you felt towards completing every book and how it impacted your reading routine? Yes. And again, this is coming up from the conversation we had prior to this interview when I talked about what I wanted to cover in this podcast episode, and yes, there was one significant challenge that I faced, regardless of whether it was a Kindle book or an audio book, and that was this obligation that I must complete this book. If I start a book before I can move on to a new book, I must complete the book that I'm currently reading. And also, going back to some of those still tied to those conditioned beliefs of my past, or at least the habits of my past, the habits of thinking, and that is this idea that not only is it important for me to finish a book from beginning to end, but there might be a quiz. Every single insight in this book must be internalized And it must be something that I could, if I were ever asked about this book, on a, you know, on a whim, I should be able to tell you what that book was about, what the main points are, what the main takeaways are. So there are many books that I can actually do this for because of how I study them. And maybe I'll go into that in a little bit. But there are so many different books out there that I was reading. It's like, okay, I'm enjoying this book. This book is good. It's got great insights. But just not everything here is all that interesting to me. And yet inside, because so many of my peers and my mentors are reading these books and they're talking about these books and they're talking about all of these details that are in this book, details, quite frankly, that are of no interest to me where I am right now. It seems to be not relevant at all to me at this moment. Sure, there was a couple of insights that were, but overall, I'm kind of bored with this book. And then what I would do is once I get bored and I start to just drift, you know, into my mind of imagination, eventually I'll just hit stop on the audiobook or just put a bookmark in the Kindle page. And then I'm like, okay, I'm done for now. And then I'll go do something else. And then the idea of going back to that book and picking it up where I was left off feeling bored and very apathetic towards the message of it, 
I'm like, yeah, that doesn't sound good. And so I would go do something else. And so I ran into this issue. Another issue that I was running into was reading audiobooks or listening to an audiobook, I should say, and having the narrator of the book say, you know, read the words off of the page to me as I'm driving down the car. And all of a sudden there was an insight. So if I was reading this in Kindle form, what I would be doing is I would open up the chapter and I would read those first three chapters in this, in this, I'm sorry, the first three paragraphs in this book. And those first three paragraphs may have a profound impact insight. It may have said something that sparked something within me, deep within my soul, and insight bubbles to the surface, and I am instantly starting to picture how this fits into the conversation I just had with so-and-so, or, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I could do to solve the problem that I just came up with this morning uh, that needs to be solved. And here I am thinking about all of this stuff while I'm driving down the road, and the next thing I know, it's like, oh, the narrator's still reading the book. And it's been 20 minutes that the narrator's been reading the book. And then I'm like, okay, well, let me just stop the audiobook. Now, what do I do? Do I have to go back to 20 minutes where I was, where I left off or where, where I remember being sparked up down that train of thoughts? And that's what I would often do as I try to back all the way up to it. And then, and then I would hit play. And the next thing you know, two more paragraphs and I'm off to the races down another rabbit trail while the narrator continues to reading on. And I'm like, ah, this is frustrating. So, There were two really significant challenges in my mind. Number one, it was I must complete a book if I start it. And if I don't, I can't go on to the next book. And and in some ways, maybe it was a ego pride thing. It's like, oh, I read X number of books this week or this year or this month or whatever. Um, you know, and 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 but I can't just say that. I have to say it and also. If you were to quiz me on it and ask me, I could tell you all sorts of great, wonderful insights about it. So feeling like I might be quizzed later and that I'm going to be tested for comprehension somehow and that it's okay, it's not okay to just get one or two insights out of a 350-page book. But instead, if there are 45 significant life-transforming insights and I only got took away two or three of them, somehow that's not good enough because it was never good enough when I was tested as a kid. So <laughs> anyway, that, that was a very, very significant challenge. So here is how I overcame that challenge. First... I gave up on the idea that if I start a book, I have to complete it. I just broke up with the idea. And number two, I gave up and broke up with the idea that if I start reading a chapter of the of a book, that I actually have to read that chapter to completion. If I get into a book and I'm sitting down, I'm like, okay, I've got an hour that I'm gonna sit here and read in my reading nook. If I open up a book, and I get three or four paragraphs into a 60-paragraph chapter, but I stop after the fifth paragraph and sit there and think or ponder or pull out a 
journal and start journaling about that insight. That's perfectly fine. And if I never make it during that one hour of devoted reading time past the fifth paragraph of the book, that's perfectly fine. Or if I click play on an audio book and I listen to it for seven minutes of a hour and 40 minute chapter, and I stop it seven minutes in and just pick it up later, that's perfectly fine. But I don't even have to pick it up later. I just broke up with the ideas of completion. And I also broke up with the idea that I am going to be quizzed later and that I somehow have to assimilate everything that's in a book. That was important for me to be able to get beyond this idea that I have to even complete a book. It's inspiring to hear how you overcame that challenge. Can you explain the mindset shift that allowed you to enjoy reading without the pressure of completion? Sure. So the mindset shift is that it's not important that I read a book to its completion. It's not important that I accept every single or that I internalize every single insight that the book has to offer. It's not important that I read a certain number of books it's not and it's not important that I actually finish a book when I start it. So those are all the mindset shifts that already happened. But also just the belief that, you know what, uh, what is reading all about for me today has changed. And here's the biggest mindset shift that took place. For me, I read for insight. I'm not reading to agree with what the book says. I'm not gre- uh, reading a book to reject what it says. I'm reading to be confronted with what the book says and allowing myself to process that based upon where I am, the filters of what I've got going on in my belief system and seeing what comes up. If there's anything that's challenged, is there any different perspective or insight or new information that's been provided that challenges the way that I think? And a single insight can change my life. That is what I understand. A single insight. I'll give you a perfect example of this. There's a book that I've read that I that I will tell you. I, there's a book that I've read four different times, but I've never made it more than one seventh of the way through this book. The book is called "Thou Shall Prosper" by Rabbi Daniel Lapin, and I've read the introduction, which is the foreword or whatever, from Dave Ramsey. And then there's the introduction, and then there's wealth principle number one and wealth principle number two, or wealth commandment number one, wealth commandment number two. I've read that section of this book four different times. I've never made it to wealth commandment number three and on. And I'm pretty sure it's the Ten Commandments. So if you go and look up Thou Shall Prosper by Rabbi Daniel Lepin, you'll see the book. But I got to tell you, I may never finish reading the rest of that book. I've started it four times and I stopped at the same place all four times. But each of those four times, I picked up a different and deeper and more profound insight that has radically changed my relationship with money, that has changed my relationship with marketing, that has changed my relationship with the way that I feel and experience life as a business owner that sells products and services. And every single time I've read just those portions of that one book, I've had exponential radical shifts in my experience in my business life. 
I, I may never finish that book. It, as far as I'm concerned, it's on my list of books that I'm currently reading. In fact, prior to preparing for this episode or in preparation for this episode, one of the things that I was going to do is do a summary of where my reading has been since 2009. Now, you've heard here so far that I, prior to 2009, I was convinced that I hated reading, did not have a really great relationship with reading. But since 2009, my life has radically shifted when it comes to my reading habits. And so here's what I will tell you. I'm currently in the process of reading 75 books. And you heard that right. I am currently in the process of reading 75 books. There are 296 books since 2009 that I am reading now or have completed. So if you take 296 minus 75 books, that's 221 books that I have actually completed from beginning to end. But there are 75 of that 296 books that I'm somewhere between the introduction of that book all the way up to maybe, you know, 75, 78, 92% of the way through the book. Depends on the book. And I would say of those 75 books, there's probably about 60 of them I will never open again in my life. They will maybe potentially forever be on that I'm currently reading list. Or eventually they will be taken off of the reading list and put into a category called archived, meaning that I have absolutely zero intention of ever reading anything further from this book. And there have been a number of books that I've done that with. But those books are ones that I would still say that, you know, I've gotten some insight from it. Otherwise, I wouldn't own the book. And I could talk to you about that as well. With your current strategy of concurrently reading multiple books, how do you decide which book to pick up on a given day? And does this approach make your reading experience more enriching? So today I will tell you that my preference for reading any and all books would be Kindle. Now, I'm no longer reading on the Kindle app on my phone, although I can and occasionally do if I forget to when I've gone somewhere and I haven't brought a Kindle with me. However, I will tell you this, that ever since the Kindle keyboard which is, I think, the second version of the Kindle that ever came out. I I think the first one had a keyboard on it as well, but I didn't have the original Kindle. But ever since the little brown Kindle keyboard, I've owned at least one of the current versions of every new release of Kindles ever since. I have a Kindle library of Kindles, a stack of Kindles, and I currently have three Kindles that are actively in use today. I have a Kindle Voyage, which is one of the top-end Kindles from, I think, 2013 or 2015, something like that. And that one has a refurbished, or it's been refurbished in such that I personally replaced the battery with a new battery. 
that is currently in the console of my car. And inside the console, there's a little USB plug in there and it's consistently got a charger so that everything I, every time I start the car, it's powering on, it's, it's actually charging and keeping the, that Kindle charged. So everywhere I drive my car, there's always a Kindle with me. Then by my bedroom, uh, on my bedside table, I have a Kindle Oasis, and that is always sitting right there, usually charged uh, to full. And then I have the Kim, the most recent version of the Kindle Paperwhite, and I keep that charged. And I take that one with me pretty much everywhere I go when it comes to traveling and things of that nature. Uh, it's the one that goes around the house with me, but it almost everywhere I go, if I go to the gym, I take a Kindle with me. If I go for a walk, sometimes I will take a Kindle with me. If I go to a park, I take a Kindle with me. A- a- almost everywhere I go, I have a Kindle with me. One of the things that I love about Kindle is that I can actually create what's called collections. And so I have three main collections. There's more, but I'll tell you the three. The first one is spiritual slash faith development. The second one is personal slash professional development. And the third one is entertainment. That's where my fiction stuff goes. So, or or anything, sometimes I read things for entertainment that aren't fiction. But anyway, it goes, my enter, I have it, so I have an entertainment category. Now, each of those have all of these books that are I'm in the process of reading. So if I were to, matter of fact, I'm going to open up my Kindle right now and we will let it power on and I'm going to go to the category page and inside of my coaching and personal development, I'll just tell you there's a book called The Powerful Coach. It's a book preview by Rich Litvin. It's not a booklet that's been published yet, but I'm 40% of the way through that. There's a book that I picked up called Coach the Person, Not the Problem. I'm 25% of the way through that. There's a book called uh, The Very Best of Steve Chandler. I'm 13% of the way through that. Let me go through here and find some other ones. There's a book that I picked up probably about three years ago, actually two years ago. It's called Rest, Why You Get More Done When You Work Less. I picked that up, was loving that book made it 34% of the way through, have not touched that book in about two years. Uh, let's see here. Be Your Future Self Now, just finished that one, actually. Uh, 10X is easier than 2X, I just finished that. Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, I'm currently 6% of the way reading through that the, I think, sixth or seventh time. And I just finished reading it, by the way, but I'm 6% through my latest round of highlights and notes. So, um, I... That's that's what's going on here. So what I do is when I open up my Kindle, and again, my preference is Kindle, if I'm going for a drive, if I'm going to be in the car for more than an hour, then I typically will pick an audio book to listen, and then I choose an audible book from my library. And oftentimes, I have both the audible version and the Kindle version that way when I pick up, you because they do something called WhisperSync, the audiobook will give me the option to forward to where I left off in the Kindle version, and then I can listen in the car, and then I can um, stop, and when I go back to Kindle, it will give me the option if I want to, I can go and skip all the way forward to where the audiobook left off. 
what I don't typically do that with a really good personal and professional development book or a spiritual development book. I do that a lot with entertainment books. But with the other books for development, I like to take, okay, so I listen to all of that. What I'm looking for now is I'm going to quickly browse through everything is like, oh, I recognize all of this. And what I'm looking for are places where I would have loved to have highlighted that if I were actually reading it on the Kindle instead of driving. And so I actually go back and retroactively make my highlights. But I only do those on books for development. Another thing, by the way, when I'm in the car... I will pause quite frequently. So I may listen to six or seven minutes of an audiobook and then hit pause and just think about it. I also have an app on my phone called Just Press Record. And I also have it on my watch. And typically what I'll do is on my watch, I'll just press that little button right in the middle and I can just start speaking what my thoughts are related to that book. It's like, hey, this was a great insight that just came out of chapter such and such of such and such book, and here's the insight. And what it does is as soon as I hit the stop button, that gets stored in my Just Press Record app. It's instantly transcribed in the app, and then I can open it up on my desktop and put that in my journal notes later. Um, Powerful stuff that's possible through all this digital technology. But anyway, so to answer your question, though, how do with concurrently reading many, uh, multiple books, how do I choose what to read? And it's real simple. So I have in spiritual slash faith, there are 90 books. In coaching and personal development, there are 80 books. And in entertainment, there are currently nine books. Now, the 90 of the spiritual and faith and the 80 of personal and professional development Those books are books that I've finished that I may want to open up and read again or refer back to over and over again. So they they actually contain a lot of completed books, but they also uh, uh, they contain books that I may be start may want to start soon or books that I'm in the process of reading. And by the way. So I've said that I've already read and or I'm in the process of reading 296 books since 2009. I also own 100 books that's audio, physical, um, Kindle, all of the formats. I own 100 books that I have not yet started reading. So... what? But what I do is I open up my Kindle and I look and say, okay, spiritual personal, professional development, or entertainment. What am I in the mood for right now? I choose a category. And then I have it set to show me the book that I was most recently reading in that category, and it goes in reverse chronological order from when those books were open. I see the percentage right there on the book cover of how much has been read so far. So the the thing that I do is I just I, I don't immediately say I'm going to pick up and start reading where I left off with the last book I was re- reading. That's not important to me anymore. I'm just like flipping through which of these books is speaking to me right now. And that's how I I choose what I'm going to read. And when I sit down, I typically don't sit down and say, I'm going to read a chapter of a book or I'm going to finish a book today. I typically say, okay, I'm going to sit down and read. How long do I have to read? Okay, great. And then let's just say that's for 45 minutes. Wonderful. I'm not going to force myself to sit there and read for 45 minutes. If I have 45 minutes to read, here's something that will routinely happen, especially if I'm here at home. Let's just say I have 45 minutes to read. I pick up a book. 
And then I opened up a book that speaks to me. I take the bookmark off from where it was left off. I start reading where I left off. And as soon as I hit a highlight, a a paragraph that I want to highlight something, then I'll highlight it. And then I'll continue reading and then I'll highlight it. And if at some point I feel like, man, this is really good. I, oh, and I'll, and so I'll just stick a bookmark right there. I may have only made it four, five, six paragraphs. And I'll just sit there and start thinking about that. And if all of a sudden my thinking gets me thinking, it's like, oh, I'd like to journal my thoughts about this. And before I know it, I'm jumping over to my uh, journaling app on my phone or my iPad, or I'll go to my desk and I'll start journaling my thoughts about that insight. Sometimes that shows up in podcast content. Sometimes I make notes so that I can refer back to this when I'm on coaching calls with clients. And oftentimes it turns into email newsletters, but many times it's just for my own personal use and it shows up in my journal notes. And I'm just looking here. I currently have 1,913 pages of notes in my journal from the things that I've been reading. So I absolutely, and that's just in my digital journal. That has nothing to do with my Notion document where I keep a lot of other notes that are not journal notes. They're just insights from books. But yeah, that's what I do. So how do I approach what book I'm going to give or read on any given moment of any given day? It's just what my heart leads me to read. Before we wrap up, Cliff, can you share any additional tips or insights that you feel would be valuable for our listeners, especially those looking to cultivate or reshape their reading habits? Sure. Well, obviously, I encourage you to consider some of the mindset shifts I've experienced in my own life. And I would love to just share with you one more tip that has been incredibly valuable to me when it comes to buying a book. I, I, I do a lot of coaching with people who have who currently struggle with reading like I used to have a struggle with reading prior to 2009. And I shared a lot of these insights, and it's been incredibly valuable to them. And one of the most valuable insights, well, as it relates to the one of the most common struggles that have been explained to me, it's like, Cliff, I have to read a book because, you know, books aren't cheap. And of course, you know, one could argue if we're going to the library and all this other stuff. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I think of books as investments, So I'm very much heavily invested in investing in my own professional and personal development, my my spiritual development. I hire coaches, mentors, I participate in mastermind groups, but I also see as a part of my, my investment in my growth is the purchase of books, lots of books and courses and, and conferences and workshops. I, I love investing in my growth. But when I think about a book, the the struggle that many people have is like, well, if I've bought a book for, let's just say anywhere between $4.99 all the way up to 50 or 60 or 70 bucks for a book, then I have to read this thing all the way through. And I have to get as, I have to squeeze as much insight and education and wisdom from those pages that it has to offer. And I've talked about all of that. But here's the way that I think about a book. So I often am reading a book and the author of that book will mention a book. And I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. So I put a bookmark in the book I'm currently reading. And then I go over to Amazon 
And I search to see if I can find the book that they just mentioned. Almost always, there's a Kindle version of it. And so what I do is I then uh, send a free sample of that Kindle book to my Kindle. Now, when I send a free sample, and almost every book has a free sample that you can send to your Kindle. When I send the Kindle or the sample to my Kindle, I can't highlight anything in that sample. So what I'll do is I'll open up the sample and I'll read the foreword, I'll read the introduction, and I'll start reading the first chapter. And if anywhere in that process, I would like to make a highlight, I'll go to make a highlight, and I even though I know for a fact I can't make the highlight, I'll go to make the highlight and it won't stick. It'll just bounce off and it doesn't do anything. And it's like, I'm sorry, you can't highlight a, a, a sample. But then I'll click on it and I'll look at the price of the book. And let's just say the book is $14.99. And I will ask myself, is the insight that I just went to, to highlight, is that worth $15? And if the answer is yes, then I will go and purchase that book for $15 immediately. And then it downloads the full version of the book. The Kindle then tells me you're now reading the full version of the book. And sometimes I have to actually close the sample and, and open the full version. And then I go find where I was in the introduction or the first chapter. And I find where I wanted to make that. And then I make the highlight. And I may actually put a bookmark right there and just think about that highlight for a moment. And it's possible that I will never return to that book ever again in my life. The question I asked myself was, worth that, was that worth $15? And the answer is always yes. That one insight was worth well more than $15 to me. And if I never get another insight out of this book and it sits here for three years, 10 years, and I never pick this book back up, but I have this one insight, that one insight could change my life forever. And every insight is like that because an insight is seeing the world from a different perspective. It's seeing the world from a, a, a way of thinking and believing that is not limited to what I previously held onto as my beliefs. And when I start seeing the world through a different lens, through a different perspective, my entire experience of life is changed forever. So a single insight highlighted anywhere in any book, that alone could be worth the price of the entire book. And there, in my mind, should be no expectation and no obligation that I am any well, in, in any way, shape, or form indebted to the author of that book or anyone else or myself to read anything more out of that book unless I feel drawn to do so. Wow, Cliff. Your journey and insights into reading and personal growth have truly been enlightening. To quickly recap what we've delved into today. One, the transformative power of a single book and how it can change one's outlook on work and life. Two, the convenience and flexibility brought about by the evolution of reading platforms from physical books to ebooks and audiobooks. 
Three, the significance of reading across different genres, ranging from personal development to science fiction and how they offer both growth and relaxation. Four, Cliff's personal struggle with feeling obligated to finish every book and how he overcame that by giving himself the freedom to read without pressure. And lastly, some invaluable tips on how to make reading a more enriching experience, including sampling books and making thoughtful highlights. It's evident that reading can be both a source of profound insights and immense joy. If anyone listening has resonated with Cliff's story or has any further questions, I encourage you to reach out. You can email Cliff directly at cliff at cliffravenscraft.com. Cliff, thank you for sharing your journey and insights with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, there you go. That was my interview with ChatGPT. And you know what? She did a great job closing out the show, but I do have a little bit of a deeper call to action for you. Today, I've taken you on an incredible journey through my personal evolution in reading habits. Over the past several years, I've received and journaled about countless insights and strategies from hundreds of books that have profoundly impacted my life and also that have impacted the lives of my one-on-one coaching clients and the members of my Next Level Mastermind. And right here at the end of this episode, I want to invite you to imagine tapping into all of that wisdom in just one coaching conversation with me. What if instead of spending months, years, or even more than a decade diving into all of those pages, you could gain just-in-time information, tailor-fit to exactly what you are uniquely experiencing right now in your personal and or professional journey. I would love to have an opportunity to distill decades into a single transformative one-on-one conversation with you. If this sounds appealing to you, if it's resonating with you, if you feel like I'm speaking directly to you right now, don't delay. I want you to send me an email, cliff at cliffravenscraft.com and put coaching in the subject line. Don't miss this opportunity. I want to invite you right now, whatever you're doing, pull over your car, side of the road. I can't wait to hear from you. Mindset and surround.